Believe in yourself, reach out for your dreams. Don't surrender, there is more than it seems. Hold on and fight, follow your heart. This is your way, love is what you make of it. Hi, this is Dr. Joe Luciani welcoming you to another session of self-coaching. We're real-life emotional struggle, whether it's depression, anxiety, relationship conflict, losing weight, or simply handling life's challenges are all addressed, teaching you to become your own best coach. Well, welcome back. And I thought this week I'd talk a little bit about something that's quite ubiquitous, and that's the issues of low self-esteem. And you know, what is self-esteem? Well, essentially, self-esteem entails the opinions and the feelings connected with those opinions that we have of ourselves. Personally, you may feel uh, low self-esteem in just about anything you do, whether it be the job, the profession, or just in life. But you need to be careful because sometimes we see people that seem really self-confident, cocky, arrogant, and Maybe they have identified with their successes, but you know, sometimes there's a burning fire or a smoldering fire in the basement. You know, these people that have reached the higher echelons of success, well, maybe it's at the price of compulsivity and they're driving themselves on this treadmill to maintain, how should we say, I guess this level of confidence. You know, it's it's more or less uh, a fragile house of cards. And it could very well be a reaction, a defensive reaction to the insecurity that's down in that basement. So if if success and confidence comes at the price of compensating insecurity, then it becomes rather compulsive and fragile. These are people that usually have hypersensitive personalities, can't take criticism, get really bogged down when something doesn't work out. And they go through life tiptoeing on eggshells, avoiding the landmines. But like I said, nevertheless, they may be highly successful and reach the top of their profession or their jobs. But if there is this insecurity that drives that, then it's a com compensation for the low self-esteem that may be underneath. Where does low self-esteem come from? Well, the seeds are really sown in childhood. And the inevitable way that human beings make comparisons, uh, I would guess this is a, a almost a universal trait, that we, we really can't know much about ourselves if we lived in just an isolated vacuum with no other people. So we judge ourselves by comparing ourselves to others. Now, as a child, of course, you know, you are quite malleable. And the the effects of your childhood, your parenting, your, your early childhood environment have a, a major effect on the development of confidence versus low self-esteem. But these become reflexive, like knee-jerk kind of things. And low self-esteem, well, it's very resistant to change. And if you're listening to this podcast, and if you do suffer from low self-esteem, you know what I'm talking about. 
you know, you don't like that feeling. It's it's a nagging, aching feeling when you make these comparisons and you you come up seemingly short. It's like a stabbing pain sometimes. And it's very difficult to extinguish. Uh, let me just tell you a little bit about, about my self-esteem problems. I grew up on the poor side of the tracks. And throughout my elementary school days, uh, I didn't realize that. I had a wonderful childhood because most everyone I knew came from the same neighborhood and had patches on their jeans and things like that until I got to high school. And once I got to high school, I remember very vividly my first year, freshman year, and there was a party on the other side of the tracks. And it was this palatial, which seemed to me at the time, this palatial house and this huge, huge swimming pool. And I went home and never saw my house the same way I did growing up. It almost embarrassed me. And I didn't want the kids at high school to visit or to know. And as tragic as that is, you know, as a child, you you identify with certain things. You make these comparisons. And I thought that, well, they don't need to know that side of me. Because, see, we're always afraid of being judged based on such superficial things. Now, the younger you are and the more adolescent you are, the more likely you are to do this. And certainly I was maybe 13 at the time. And to me, it was a big deal. I assumed that people wouldn't like me or want to hang out with me once they knew the truth. And the same thing goes for, you know, just in general, for whether whatever side of the tracks you grew up on, you know, grades, the inevitability of getting grades, getting A's. If you got A's, you probably felt pretty confident and everybody at home patted you on the back if you got B's. And if your parents said, well, you could do better next time, well, that made you feel a little bit queasy. But if you got C's and D's, well, then the comparisons are made. You know, it's the haves and the have-nots. I don't have that intelligence. I'm not getting A's. So whether you were an A, C, D student, or worse, these identifications are made, and they're made on the comparisons that we make. And self-esteem is more or less the end result of those comparisons. Now, going back to my high school years again, I didn't have much guidance, got really enamored with sports, and all kinds of other somewhat adolescent nefarious things. But I didn't I didn't bring home too many books. So my junior year, my mother took me to my guidance counselor. It's a true story. And she said, we're here to talk about Joe's college. And he looked at her. Then he looked at me and he looked back at her. And he said, don't waste your money. True story. Now, that doesn't go bode well for self-esteem, obviously. And I just took it in stride. Uh, probably didn't expect much more. After all, I, I really wasn't a shining student. So I started out my post-high school years 
with the basic assumption that Joe Luciani had peaked, got a job in the bank loading trucks. And for some curious reason, I took a couple of night school courses at a local college, biology and psychology. There you go. And and I applied myself because I had a job where I could sit in the truck waiting to get to this incinerator to burn all the boxes of checks that had to go into the incinerator. And I had plenty of time to read and study. And I wound up getting A's in both courses. Wow. Now, did that change my esteem? Did it change my negativity about my self-worth and confidence? No. But it was curious. How was it that someone who did not have any ability, quote, end quote, could possibly get two A's? So I attributed that to just perseverance and tenacity, certainly not to intelligence or any other interesting ability that I had. And I'll shorten this story by saying I did go off to college. And as I started to develop some study muscle, my grades began to improve slowly, gradually. And by the time I got to graduate school, I had never gotten less than an A in any course. How could this be? Now, you would think, wow, you must have really felt pretty confident at that point. You must have realized that you really were pretty pretty bright. You could do all of this stuff and get all of those good grades. Mm -mm, wasn't the case. Quite the contrary. Ever hear of the imposter syndrome? Well, I felt I was a sham. I felt that I had overcompensated and that I had kind of pulled the wool over everyone else's eyes. That if they really knew that I was the one that shouldn't waste his money on college, then they would treat me differently. So it, it, was, it was quite uh, an evolution for me because I kept clinging to the low self-esteem in spite of the success I was having. You know, it was Dizzy Dean who said, if you can do it, it ain't bragging. Well, I was able to do it, but I wasn't bragging. I was able to do it, but I felt still less than. Now, maybe it was I didn't have the swimming pool growing up and I was embarrassed where I lived. And maybe it was that I, you know, was claiming that I had no ability intellectually. I don't know what it was exactly, but... I did feel like a sham. Now, the one very fortunate thing that happened to me is that I went to a professional school, the first one in the country, of psychology, California School of Professional Psychology. And the requirements there were individual therapy each year and group therapy, aside from the coursework and everything else. Therapy. Wow, that was novel. And little by little, I was forced to challenge the insecurity. Now, especially in group therapy, group therapy is an amazing thing because you're giving the feedback that no one else gives you because you hide behind various shields. And people don't always tell you what they think. And they let you get away with things because they too have their own insecurities. But in group therapy, wow. In group therapy, you are confronted 
So this is now going into my PhD program, and I'm in my group therapy setting. And each week I'd go in and say, "Hey, you guys, you know, you feel you feel good. I'm I'm not like you. I mean, I you know, I'm not, uh, you know, I'm just not as okay." That was a good word for it at the time. I I think it was Harris's book. I'm okay. You're okay. Well, in my book, it was I'm not okay, and you're okay. And each week I'd go into group and and they would chastise me. They would they would really just come at me for just this litany of yes, but, yes, but. And they were tired of it every week. Yes, but. Well, one week I was driving to class, group rather, and we we headed at my supervisor's house in La Jolla, California, up in the hills. It was gorgeous. And Two things happened. Uh, Carl Rogers, very famous psychologist, lived in the same area as my supervisor. And as I was driving to my supervisor's house, I saw Carl Rogers taking out the garbage. Okay. <laughs> that, that had some, some kind of an effect on me. I'm not entirely sure how, but it was just shortly after that that the clouds seemed to part. And for some reason, I realized in that moment that there was nothing wrong with me, that I was okay. Now, that, that may sound, you know, not earth-shaking to you, but at the time, it was where I let go of clinging to my own self-destruction, my own self-esteem issues, and I just was able to let it go. Now, how did I do that? Well, it was one of those aha moments. It doesn't always happen this way. And, and let me tell you, it was just the beginning of my journey to get beyond low self-esteem. But it was a legitimate beginning. As I walked into group that night, and I sat down and I said to the group, well, I think I feel okay. And to which the group said, yeah, yeah, here we go again. But it was true. And from that day forward, I realized that there was nothing standing in my way except me. So let me ask you, if you suffer from self-esteem, what's standing in your way? Are people making you feel insecure? Or, let's be honest, are you allowing them to make you feel insecure? Well, Truth be told, you're probably allowing people to get under your skin. You're probably making comparisons between your station in life and someone who's light years ahead of you. You're probably finding ways to limit yourself in order to protect yourself from perceived failure. And you're probably overly negative, And you reinforce the insecurity that drives low self-esteem. How do you do that? Well, doubts, fears, and negatives. And we keep ourselves bottled up in this ongoing treadmill of low self-esteem. And we gloss over reality, you know, as I did in, in, in when I was in the group. It's always, yes, but. Yeah, I did that, but it wasn't blah, blah, blah. So you, you gloss over the reality, the objective reality, and you replace it with the knee-jerk reflex of insecurity-driven low self-esteem. Now, why do we do that? Well, ostensibly to feel safe. You see, you don't want to take a risk of 
overextending your your uh, capacity and and actually daring to be confident that that may feel really risky because you're so identified with low self-esteem that even imagining to act in a way where you feel more confident well that sets you up for feeling that there would be quite a fall if you did that so you stay safe you stay hunkered down being humble kind of being passive in life not confronting people not being assertive not being able to say no you have that problem when you say no do you feel a sense of guilt well maybe maybe if you say no you you, you don't know what to expect you know if someone asks you to do something and you say no thanks i can't do that maybe you don't want to take that uh, dare because basically you can't control the outcome if you say yes to everybody then you pretty much know what response you're going to get you're going to make them feel okay with you so with low self-esteem you can't take a chance that people might not agree or like or or worse yet you can't take a chance that they may come at you so with low self-esteem you really can't take a chance that ruffling someone's feathers and telling them no can't take a chance that things will be okay because you don't know what'll happen and you don't have the confidence and self-esteem to handle things spontaneously so you got to control the situation how do you control it you become a yes person you give up of yourself you sacrifice yourself in order to feel safer more in control which ostensibly does give you more control over life because the more you are a yes person the more predictable others are and pretty much it's it can reinforce you and convince you that you know you i need to keep doing this so i don't want to have people angry with me i don't want to get in trouble so we don't like to say no we don't want to feel guilty and we don't want to feel threatened but these are perceived of course it is an assumption that if you are honest with people you're not going to be liked now you can live the rest of your life in that shell not ever letting your true personality come forward because that may feel too risky but you have to challenge at some point at some point you have to risk taking a shot being genuine it's you know when i say being genuine it's your only chance at true happiness because being anything you're not or suppressing everything that you are is a ticket for a mediocre life for depression for anxiety because it's it's like holding a beach ball underwater you know you the vital you that isn't getting expressed exerts pressure you have to contain that you have to be careful you have to watch what you say because the anticipation is that whatever is inside of me i can't let that come forward that would be destructive and you want to be liked it's easier right but are you working too hard to be liked and if you are then this is an admission that you're you're not okay with yourself if you have to work to be liked doesn't that make perfect sense because if you already like yourself if you feel okay with yourself 
then you don't have to work to be liked. You just be yourself. You don't have to work at it. You don't have to have people applauding you, patting you on the back. I mean, that's nice when it happens, but but to go after that in a compulsive way is just one more admission that you're just trying desperately, externally, to find the answer to throwing some cold water on that low self-esteem and extinguishing that fire that's burning in your basement. So you need to be objective with yourself. And when I say objective, I'm talking about pure objectivity. We don't want you to be inflated, and we don't want you to be deflated. Take the word modesty. The Latin derivative of the word modesty is to measure accurately. And that's what we're after, to measure yourself accurately. That's where you'll find yourself. If you are deflating yourself, that's inaccurate. And that's where depression, anxiety, and struggle reside. If you are inflated, then that's another defense against the insecurity. You're trying to puff yourself up because you don't feel you're enough if you don't puff yourself up. So to live a modest life is to measure yourself accurately, objectively. So being okay means not trying to be anything other than what and who you are. And that's a tall order for a lot of people, especially if you're suffering from low self-esteem. And I'm the first to let you know that I understand that firsthand. It takes practice. You've got to keep challenging the status quo of insecurity. You've got to maintain as much objectivity as you possibly can. You've got to risk becoming and being who you are, because you may not know. You may think that this imposter that you've created is you, and you've got to maintain that. Well, you need to back off a bit. You need to be more spontaneous. And that's the only way to find out who you are. Once you try to concoct an identity, you try to act a certain way to be liked, you've more or less just created an image of you, a facsimile of you that you feel will be more productive than being you. And all of this comes down to happiness, life itself. You can't be happy if self-esteem is steering, if insecurity is driving your life. You can only be happy when you find yourself and release that self. The beach ball, let it go as it pops through the surface. That's where you find the possibility of fulfillment, of true happiness. And you don't need to pursue the false gods of power, status, money. You pursue what is important. And that can only be revealed to you. The truth can only be revealed to you when you're not deluded by insecurity-driven low self-esteem. So learn to say no. Risk it. Foster good relationships, relationships that are healthy. You know, I, I, I'm going to do another podcast on my orbits theory. We have orbits just like around the sun, and the closest orbit to the sun, the Mercury orbit, is our closest, dearest friends, people who would die for us and vice versa. And we have a select group of people. And if you have one or two, you're lucky. Because these are the important people in your life. You need to cultivate those healthy relationships, and you need to relinquish those that are destructive. Stay modest. Challenge negativity, doubt, fear, 
And it will feel risky, but do what you can because you've got to release that beach ball of spontaneity, of energy, and all that energy is being suppressed right now. So I, I encourage you, take the risk. Be courageous. It's Courage is an important word right now. Be courageous. Be who you are. Take that risk. Every once in a while, start off slow and let the chips fall where they may. You'll handle it if you're always trying to protect yourself from what if, what if, what if, what if. Well, you're not developing any muscle, any any muscle that's going to really allow you to feel confident. Every once in a while, be who you are. Take that risk and recognize that you can handle life. That's called psychological maturity. So that's it for this week. I do encourage you to challenge any low self-esteem feelings, low confidence you might have. These are affectations. They're not who you are. Release yourself. So visit my website, why don't you? Selfcoaching.net. You could learn more about my other books and some of my philosophy on things like this. And you could also reach me there. And if you'd like to reach me directly, you could reach me at selfcoachinghelp, one word, at AOL.com. And I do encourage you, if you have questions about your own struggle and would like me to address them uh, in one of these podcasts, uh, let me know what it is. You know, Give me as much detail as you possibly can. I shall attempt to give you some self-coaching advice, of course, anonymously. I won't mention any identifying information. And uh, you can leave that at selfcoachinghelp at AOL.com. So until next time, remember that being victimized by emotional struggle is not an option. And by definition, victims are powerless and you're not powerless. Remember, everything's hard till you make it simple. So how about you join me every week? Let's make it simple together. Believe in yourself. Reach out for your dreams. Don't surrender. There is more than it seems. Hold on.